Amen. Well, um, Pastor Kelvin was actually scheduled to be my assistant tonight, but we thought the glare on his head would be too great for you, so, so the uh, communion plates are enough glare. And um, in case you hadn't noticed, even worse, uh, in case you hadn't noticed um, or, or didn't know, the uh, Vacation Bible School kids raised over $1,500 just so Pastor Calvin would shave his head. Well, no, we believe that they did it because they really were committed to the Bolivia mission and uh, raised in, in the neighborhood of $3,500 for, um, for the Bolivia trip. Uh, so we're really excited about what the, the camp did. And, uh, we're, we're wondering if perhaps we could get the kitchen paid off if we had uh, John Locke shave his head. Um, is, there any, uh, is there any chance that... Uh, <laughs> no, I... No. I'm not willing to do that just for a kitchen. It'd have to be like a, a whole building, uh, a whole building uh, fund. And then maybe I would. Um, anyway, it was a great, a great uh, week this week. And so pray about the uh, coming week with our, our day camp. Please keep that in prayer. We have uh, such a great opportunity in these next uh, three weeks. And then into our uh, Join the Cast camp and all, all our soccer camp that's going on. Um, we're filled with, with kids and opportunities. And, and let's, not, uh, let's not drop the ball by failing to pray for... Uh, God's work among us because uh, these are exciting days and, and uh, exciting days every Sunday is an exciting Sunday uh, these, these past number of months God has just been uh, in a, reaching into hearts in an amazing way um, I had a conversation with a, a man today that I'm going to continue to have a conversation kind of just at the bottom of his life and popped in here this is his second Sunday here and uh, came forward and, and uh, wants to have a relationship with Christ so um, this is continual, and we, we thank God. We, we've done a lot of sowing for a lot of years, and, and it seems like um, God is giving us a season of reaping, which is uh, a real blessing time, too. So uh, we're excited about that. And um, also, um, uh, some of you have been asking how specifically we can be praying for Graydon and Sarah. These next, uh, uh, this next week is pretty important in terms of, of establishing the ministry there. They're, in, they're on the ground in Africa now, uh, but here's how you can specifically pray. Um, the, uh, the, the tribal chief ha has never met uh, Sarah and the, the two kids. He's heard about them. And uh, so the, the official um, signing of the lease agreement for the property has not materialized yet. And uh, so the, the ask was to bring the family and, uh, and so that's what's going to happen, uh, Lord willing, this week, that the, uh, the, the, the tribal council will grant the, the uh, Graydon and Sarah the plot of land, uh, will lease that to them. And uh, upon the, uh, the signing of that lease, they will have to then go back to the capital city and, uh, and get government approval for a, a, a business visa to be there. So these are a couple of things that are very critical to, to happen, and we believe they're going to happen. Uh, God seems to be ha opening all the doors that, uh, for that ministry. But just so you know how to pray specifically, these two things need to happen uh, right away uh, to make this uh, continue to go forward. So be in prayer about that. Also, uh, please be in prayer for uh, Gail Stacy. Her mom 
uh, passed away um, this morning. And uh, so funeral will be Thursday. So remember the Stacys, remember Gail in particular um, in these days. Let's, uh, let's uh, open in prayer. Our Father, uh, thank you for our time together already to lift up our voices and worship you and uh, remind each other of how much you love us and, and uh, to strengthen our hearts as we uh, encourage each other uh, with the lyrics of important uh, songs of faith. And uh, now, Lord, thank you for the meaning of our time together to be at the uh, Lord's table and uh, what it means to be your, your children and to be invited to this celebration time of your care for us, your love for us, your saving work for us. Lord, we pray for those that, that you are reaching in these days, uh, brand new um, hearts that you are reaching into. And uh, Lord, we just pray that you would continue to help us to uh, disciple people and uh, get them firmly rooted in the, the truth. And Lord, we pray now as we um, uh, take some time in your word that you would strengthen our hearts. I pray that you'll bless the, the uh, upcoming children's ministries. Lord, for those kids that have made decisions this past week, uh, whether they were decisions to strengthen their hearts that were already yours or uh, those who, who have given their hearts uh, brand new to you, Lord, we just pray that those um, commitments that were made, that were energized by your spirit, will be um, nurtured and strengthened and rooted. And thank you for the work of the, the, the labor force that sacrificially gave of this past week to build into the lives of children and into their families. Uh, in, Lord, we just thank you for that willingness. And then for all those uh, counselors this in the next several weeks, Lord, grant them strength and confidence and uh, clarity uh, with respect to your truth. And uh, I pray that uh, things will go very well spiritually, Father, and uh, that you'll also help us physically. And uh, Father, I pray for, for Gail uh, tonight. I pray that you'll uh, comfort her heart, help her, and uh, others, Lord, in our church family who are going through times of hurt. And uh, I just pray for your blessing and thank you for your care and your love for us thank you for incredible compassion for us and now father we we pray that your word would strengthen us tonight as we pay attention to it in jesus name i pray amen i want you to look with me at john chapter 16 for a moment and then i want to settle into a, a text in romans um, outside of the crucifixion itself there was no greater time of distress among the disciples than when Jesus told them that he would be leaving them uh, in terms of interacting with them. He would be leaving them permanently. And uh, we pick that up in, in the, uh, the discourse that Jesus was having with his disciples in the upper room in John chapter 16, his final kind of salutation to them. And uh, they were very, very distressed. You'll see this as, as I read. All this, he says in verse 1, I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. So he says to them, there's going to be some really hard times, really hurtful times, and times that you're going to be bewildered and not really even understand what's going on. Uh, they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. And I have told you this 
so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. And I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Now, he, he states this truth to them and actually promises them that it's going to be a hard road. It's going to be tough times, hurtful times. And then he goes on to say this. Now, I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask me, asks me, where are you going? Because I've said these things. Now, listen, you are filled with grief. That's why I, how I know this was an incredibly distressing time for them. This was a time of parting. This was a time they were... They, they, uh, couldn't even envision because their relationship had grown so close. And he says this, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you, but if I, I go, I will send him to you. When the ways of God are hard and, and heartbreaking, uh, when you uh, are not sure which way to turn and you wonder what God is bringing into your life, what he's doing in your life, how, how is it that you can rest in Christ? How is it that you can come to terms with a, a time of grief, a time of, of great distress in your life? Well, there's an interesting phrase that, that Jesus used here as he acknowledges their grief and then he says to them, it's for your good. I know this hurts, and I know it's really painful, and I know you're distressed, and I know there's great grief in your life, but I want you to know something. This is for your good. There are other times in the scriptures where, of course, we're told about harmful times or hurtful times or times of distress and times of suffering. In fact, there's a lot of places where that's uh, told to us. And a particular place that I want to camp out on tonight for a few moments Paul took to the Roman church and said virtually the same kind of thing that Jesus had said to his disciples here to give them um, encouragement. Uh, Paul um, gives them instructions because uh, our instinct in life is to avoid grief, it's to avoid suffering, it's to avoid sacrifice, it's to, to avoid distress, it's to, to avoid harmful things. That's our natural instinct and so we try to play it safe in life we regularly um, are apprehensive about taking risk for Christ because we prefer comfort and convenience. Well, I want you to scoot over to Romans chapter 8. This is a verse that I'm pretty convinced that a couple of verses that almost everybody who's in the room tonight has probably memorized. You probably throw it around a lot. Maybe not correctly. But we, we know something about the scriptures, and it is this, that God is at work for our good. It's stated to us many times. In fact, Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those, or it could be rephrased, for our good, the good of those, our good, who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now, we probably have already come to terms with in our lives that what God determines or deems is for our good is sometimes not what we think is for our good. We often think differently than God does. 
And so tonight, um, I want to look at what is our good. And if our VBSers were here, they would say, our good is God's glory. And God's glory is our good. Is that not what it was this, this week? All right. I was looking at Pastor Calvin. He didn't seem to. He threw a blank. He drew a blank. Our, he's, he's so fried that uh, he's just, he's just uh, whatever. <laughs> okay. He's got it down. Our good is God's glory, and God's glory is our good. But here, I want to I advance something with respect to that tonight. Rabbi Zacharias has said this. If the primary goal of life is a closer walk with God, then even the good is sometimes set aside in favor of the best. And John Piper follows that up by saying this. So, be strong and take risks and go to the hard places of need and show the world your love, that you trust God and his promises more than wealth or weapons of police or alarm systems or good neighborhoods or available medical care. So I want to look at this um, text tonight with you before we celebrate communion and, and uh, God's good for us. And um, I want to... I want to ask a couple of questions, and, and the first one is this. Why the promise that God works for our good in all things? Why, why does God promise this to us? Well, the context of Romans chapter 8, if you look at it, has a lot to do with suffering. In fact, in verse 17, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Then he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be real, revealed in us. And, and it goes on to talk about a lot of suffering. The bottom line is that, and the, and the same thing answering the question, why did Jesus promise that, that his leaving them would be for their good? Why did he uh, give this phrase in his final discourse? And the simple answer to it is because regularly we feel weak and at a loss in our lives. We feel helpless in so many life settings. Regularly, circumstances are unfolding in our lives that, are, that look anything but good. Would you agree? Would, would that not be the characteristic of the times in your life that are uh, not, not uh, too irregular? In fact, the, the scripture text that I just read to you where the word of God is promising us that there are going to be times where we're going to feel downright bad. It's not going to feel good at all. In fact, as you continue reading on in chapter 8, sometimes we don't even know what to ask God for. We, we're, we're at a loss for words. Uh, life is so difficult. It, it hurts so much that we don't even know what to say to God. And, and of course, the, the text there says that he searches our hearts and the Spirit of God and knows the... And, uh, and he who searches our hearts, it says, knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Sometimes we don't even know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. So we get this promise because we need this promise. We, we need this promise from God, and we need to remind each other of this promise that, that God is working all things out for our good. We, we absolutely need this promise, but, and, and God also wants us to pursue his cause. Um, we won't regularly uh, move our lives, as I already said, into, into risk areas or potential areas of harm or possible areas of suffering uh, very easily unless we really come to terms with this promise that God is really saying to us that he is working all things for our good and that we don't have to 
sanitize and sterilize and safetyize, if that's even a word, our lives. Because God is taking responsibility for our good. And so this is incredibly important for us. But what I think is also important is not only does Christ, does the word of God give us this promise that, that God is working for our good. But he also follows up the promise with reasons to have confidence in the promise. Now I know many of us are probably suggesting, wait a second, if God says it, that settles it. I believe it. We were taught that as little kids, and there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not generally how God actually presents his promises. He doesn't just say, here's my promise, just trust me on this. The record of the scriptures is a God who cares so much for us that he lays down promises for us, but he also gives us reasons that follow up the promise Reasons that we can have confidence in his promise in the first place. And I want to show you that in this text because this is crucial to us. Why would, would God back up promises with reasons for confidence? Well, Jesus gave reasons for, for them to have confidence in, in uh, the fact that it would be good for him to leave. He said to them, unless I leave, the counselor will not come, the comforter will not come. And he tells them in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, the value of the comforter. In John chapter 14 and, and verse 16 and 17, he says there that, um, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So he gives this great follow-up to why you should believe that it's for your good because the Father is going to send a counselor who will not only be with you, he's going to give him to you, and he'll be with you, and he'll also be in you. And so I'm not going to leave you an orphan, and so you, you can have great confidence and, and great courage with this promise that I give to you. And so it is with Christ and the word of God when he follows up with his promises with reasons to have confidence in his promise. The faith that God asks of us is not blind faith. He invites us to have faith in the truth that he reasons for us and, and demonstrates to us. The Bible is not a series of promises and commands or a list of promises and commands at all. It's the story, the revelation of Jesus Christ and the reason and cause for us to have confidence in the living God. Now listen how he follows up this promise as we read along. You've seen it already. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, because or for... Those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. The reason that we have confidence in the promise of God is because he has this great plan for our lives. And, and uh, Paul goes on to write what this is. Uh, Piper also writes this, faith is not a response to raw authority. 
And I add on to that, no, obedience is. Faith is a response to the revelation of light. Our faith is based on real promises from real revelation of real truth of a real, caring, gracious God who demonstrates that throughout the text of Scripture. If you are um, in Romans, turn over a couple more pages to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, and note uh, what, uh, what Paul also states to uh, the Corinthian believers here with respect to the revelation of God and its value in our lives. The God of this age, I'm reading 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of, of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. By elaborating on on Christ's amazing glory, the promise, his promise becomes even more believable and trustworthy to us. In other words, when we look at the scriptures, when we read the scriptures, when we read um, the, the surrounding information to the promises, we start to realize in our heart, if God can do that, then surely I can believe him for this. Or, or if, if God is up to that, then then I can surely have confidence in him for this. And, and so this amazing truth that the Apostle Paul gives us is with respect to from cover to cover in the Scriptures, the intention of the Scriptures is to reveal that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in Christ. Constantly, we are being shown how great God is. He gives us promises, and then he says, I can fulfill this promise because of how great I am. Pay attention as you read the scriptures. Whenever there's a promise, it's always backed up with how amazingly great I am. To the disciples who were discouraged that Jesus was leaving them, he says, listen, let me tell you how great the Father is. Yes, I'm leaving, but he's going to send another counselor who will not just walk alongside you and sometimes be away from you, sometimes be on the other side of the garden or on the other side of the city, but he'll be actually in you. And it's for the disciples to say, what? If God can do that, then he could do, and, and, and that's to grip our hearts to believe the promises of God so that we can truly trust God that in a hurtful setting, in a harmful setting, in a bewildering setting, in a setting that we would never choose for ourselves, we can latch hold of this promise and say, but my God is working all things for my good. That's the intention here. He wants us to know what his, what his good looks like for us so that we will no longer be bewildered by the all things that come into our life, but rather we'll be encouraged by, by every setting, regardless of what it is. Now, much of the confusion, of course, in our lives comes about because our vision of what is good for us and God's vision of what is good for us are often not the same thing. In fact, regularly not the same thing. And so, um, in fact, 
we have to define here tonight in this text what is our good. Now, by the way, way too many of us spout off this verse to each other in only a fragmented sense. When you are using this verse, verse Romans 8, 28, it is absolutely imperative for you to read this whole, say the whole verse to everybody, because look what the whole verse says. And we know that in all things God works for the good of one, those who love him. And here's the phrase we regularly leave off. Who have been called according to our purpose. Yeah? No. His purpose. We leave it off. We don't use that part of the, part of the verse regularly. We know it's there, but we're not certain it's as important as it really is. What is our good? This is um, some amazing theology here, by the way. Our good, which is established here, is to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Um, it uses a lot of interesting theological language here, like the words foreknew and predestined and called and justified and glorified and all that. So there is so much theology wrapped up in these three verses, we could go on for weeks talking about this. Uh, this is sort of the culmination of our three-part kind of mini-series at nights on the whole sort of the um, broad idea of salvation, the keeping power of God to keep us, keep those who have come to faith in Christ, that all that the Father gives to Jesus, he will absolutely keep. And then we looked at holiness last week and the whole idea of sanctification. So we have this, this keeping power of God for our salvation. We have sanctification whereby we are growing in our lives by reading the word of God, by studying the word of God, by, by having, allowing the truth of God's word to change us through the power of God's spirit. And tonight we are sort of coming to the culmination of that section of, of what salvation really means with this grand word called glorification. Because the, because the whole package deal of salvation is your initial relationship with Jesus Christ in salvation, your ongoing salvation called sanctification, and your ultimate salvation called glorification. And, and what this text really says, bottom line, without taking so much time on theology, is to say what God started with your life, he absolutely is going to finish. This, this promise of our, of our good is, a, is ultimately getting to the place of glorification. That's what this culminates in. This, this promise to us is that during these times of, uh, of hurtfulness and despair and bewilderment and suffering and, and, and hassles and persecution and all of that, yes. But here's the guarantee. God is going to get you to glorification. He's going to get you to the end game, which is ultimately to get to the place where we are perfected in the likeness of Christ. And so these he has predetermined, very strategic purpose of God, is these that he's predestined, the pardoned, are going to be perfected to be like Christ. Our most important goal then, that he's working out right now, is that we might know Christ fully in our hearts, 
and thirst for him above all things. If you're wondering what God is doing with your life or to your life at any given moment, you who love him, you who are called according to his purpose, because his purpose is to reform you into the likeness of Christ, he is absolutely causing in your life for you to know Christ, experience him fully, realize the reality of Christ in your life, and thirst and hunger for him alone. That's what our good is. That's what Christ is working out in our lives. It's a very strategic purpose of God. Those who love him, those who are called to his purpose, not a random stumble into the Christian community, but, but you, we, we need to know this word for new means that, that this idea of predestined is, is that God in advance before the foundation of the world chose to love you and change you and ultimately glorify you. It's not a random collection. You just stumbled into the Christian community, but, but God lovingly called you to himself. That's what this means. He, he determined ahead to enter in a relation, ahead of time, to enter into a relationship with you and then to conform you into the image of Christ's glorious body. Philippians 3.21. And those who fit into all that category are guaranteed to be completed by their passion for Christ's honor. And by the way, this word also glorified, the tense that is chosen by the Holy Spirit of God here is an action completed in the past. Now, when we think of being glorified, ultimately glorified, we are thinking that that's going to happen in the future. And in fact, in terms of real time, that's true. But in terms of reality, our glorification is already a done deal in the economy of God. So he gives you this promise in a hurtful, suffering, painful, agonizing time. Listen, I know it's bad. And I know it hurts. And I know you're wondering about what's going on. But I want you to know something. I lovingly called you into my kingdom. And I have already glorified you. you the deal is already done. You are already going to be perfected in Christ. That's the promise that is granted to us here. Now... What it isn't his purpose, it isn't his purpose that our good is necessarily a long, healthy, or dreams come true life with a comfortable, wealthy retirement extravagantly enjoying the gulf breeze of the tropics. As much as all of us would like that. <laughs> Here's where we get into trouble with each other. You know, we lose a job um, suddenly. And we come to our brother and we say to him, don't despair. God is working all things for our good. Those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And so what God's going to do is he's going to give you a better job. So be encouraged. Well, that's not the truth. 
That's absolutely as far away from the truth of this text as can possibly be. We can't promise each other that. The reason you might have abruptly lost your job is because your job was in the way of God conforming you into the likeness of Christ Jesus. And the next job that he's going to give you might be a really tough job and a demeaning job or a job worse than you had because for your good, that next job might in fact aid and abet the work that God has to conform you into the image of Christ. So don't console each other with the idea that this is a material promise. This text is not a material promise. This text is a renovation of the heart promise that whatever comes into your life, we go to each other and we say, listen, brother, uh, it's painful that you lost your job, but I do know this, that God is at work in your life, at work in your life to ultimately bring you to the place where Christ's glory is all that matters to you, and you thirst and you hunger for the transforming work of Christ in your life, and that's for your good. That's what this text teaches us. That's what this text promises us. Our glory, settling for our glory, is chump change compared to what God wants for us. He wants us to know what it is to long in our hearts for Christ and Christ alone. And anything that he does in your life or allows in your life toward that end should meet with our great rejoicing. Listen, the hardest thing to, in life that I've had to do so far was Tuesday at 5 o'clock this week was to say to myself that saying goodbye to my firstborn son and his wonderful wife and my two little grandsons was for all of our good. But that's precisely what it is. Why did Graydon and Sarah bundle up their whole life and, 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 and offload their whole, whole life into 300 pounds of, uh, of material goods and move away? Because hungering and thirsting after the purposes of Christ are all that really matters in life. That's what Christ has for us. That's what he longs for us to be. That's where he's moving us to. That's what he's shaping us to in life. I got such a neat note. Lynn and I got such a neat note from Sarah. And she said this to us. God will keep what you have committed unto him. And you have committed us unto him. And so he will keep us. And so he will for his glory. The final summary of our complete salvation then tonight as we transition into our time of rejoicing in our salvation is that God is getting all of us his own ready for and guaranteed entry to heaven through whatever he allows to come along in our lives. This promise is meant to change our availability. 
It's meant to change our investment strategies. It's meant to change our willingness to take risk and endure. All of these things. God wants to free you. He wants to free you from the world and its ways and to free you from sin. God wants to shape you from conforming to the values of this world and all that they hold out to be good so that you will not try to use him to make your dreams come true but will want him more than anything else. And that sometimes takes some real tough work in our lives. It takes some suffering. It takes some pain. It takes some doing without. It takes some risk. It takes a lot of trust. It takes a whole bunch of faith. That the glory of Christ may be your glory, finally perfected in his heavenly presence. That's glorification. Rabbi Zacharias also said this, if a person does not understand that the purpose of life defines lifestyle, then the lifestyle itself is hollow and the life is squandered. His purposes are laid out for us very clearly here. Our good, according to his purposes, is to conform us into the image of Christ Jesus. That's it. That's how God's shaping all things for our good. The good of those who love him and who he chose to love himself. And it's already good as done. So this will shape your lifestyle. This defines our lifestyles. It really does. It has to. This is a promise that's been given to us and reason to have confidence for the promise. Both things are right there for us. It will shape our lifestyle. There's no real, there's no real risk in those who pursue the glory of God. Do you really believe that? And there's no suffering that compares to the glory of being like Jesus. Do you believe that? And there's no investment in pursuing God's glory that is reckless. Do you believe that? And all the playing it safe here is for those who don't have this promise. We don't have to play it safe. We have to play it according to his purposes. And when we do, he's working all things for our good. Father, I pray tonight as we contemplate the truth of this text and continue to do so in the days to come. This is not, uh, this is not a momentary reflection of uh, a truth and then we move on. This, this is one that you need to camp on. and We need to think about a lot. We need to ruminate on it. We need to read it over and over. We need to meditate on it. We need to understand, Lord, by your spirit how this shapes and reshapes our lives. We need to think about how this changes our thinking how this would change our decision-making, how this would change our investments, how this will change our letting go. Father, I, I pray that um, as we s celebrate now the amazing sacrifice, the incredible 
painful sacrifice that Christ has made for us, for our good. I pray, Lord, that we would not squander anything that the Lord has done for us, but that we would make our lives available and live confidently in the things that you bring into our life that are meant to transform us, oh God. How we want to be a church that is in, in, in a transformed way is white hot for the glory of Christ. Lord, the, the amazing things you're doing here among us are, are too glorious to squander. So our Father, I pray that we would be um, cooperating with everything that you want to do in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.